Um, but it was, it was something that was wonderful that God is doing. Yeah. Not that he did, he's doing. And none of us must miss this. Now we can. I've been in churches for some years now and it never fails when the spirit of God starts to move, some people leave. It's as though they don't want it or it doesn't fit what they think it should be. We don't know what God's going to do or how he's going to do it. God is a God of infinite variety. When he turns up, he can turn up a thousand different ways. But the important thing is he turns up. And if we welcome him and want him and desire him and thirst for him and hunger for him, he will not disappoint us. You might think, I don't know if there is any more. Oh, there is. I'll tell you there is. There is a whole lot more. And I want it. I want more. So we were at Café Rendezvous last week. If this is Jerusalem, if this place is Jerusalem, then Café Rendezvous is Bethany. It is the meeting place of God. It is the coffee shop of God. It is God's home from home. God named it. He said, this is my place. And I will sustain it. And when the time is right, I will visit this place and I will not leave it. This is my house. I went last week, I said to the boys, do you want me there? They said, yeah, of course. So I said to Daphne, I'm going. She said, why didn't you leave them get on with it? I thought inside, they're not going to get on with it without me. Not that I have to play any part, but I don't want to miss anything, you know what I mean? I had a prophecy over me some years ago that said the best is yet to come. So I am in earnest anticipation of the best yet to come. So I sat by in the window, I sat in the most comfortablest seat in the, in, the, in the cafe. It looks really tatty and bad, but it's super comfortable, that seat. And as I sat there in the window, of course, there were people here that were talking and there were people coming in and I felt an obligation to talk to them or to see if they wanted anything. And as I was there, I felt the Spirit of God say, move yourself from here and get up to the front. When the Spirit of God comes, these seats will never be vacant. I tell you that. I tell you that. There is something about religious institutions where people fill up from the back. There is something about the house of God where people fill up from the front. So we're not there yet. 
but it's coming. So I went to the front knowing that there would be no seats. So I sat on the floor. I don't mind sitting on the floor, it's quite comfortable, as long as my back can lean against something. As I sat there, and the music was playing, and the words were being sung, it washed over my soul. I didn't want to pray, I didn't want to say anything, I didn't want to do anything, but the word of God washed over my soul. And as I sat there, the Spirit of God spoke to me. Can I say that God is speaking to you all of the time? He is a communicating God. The problem is we're not listening. Or we don't know how to tune in. A moment doesn't pass when God isn't speaking to you. Do you realise? That's why he made you. He didn't make you to ignore you. He made you that he could communicate with you. Constantly. Wanting to burst, burst, burst into our presence into our very consciousness. And as I sat there and I saw myself sitting on the floor, the Word word of God just gave this picture to me of Mary and Martha. You know that account of Mary and Martha, where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That, That sprung to my mind, mostly because that's where I was sitting. Let me read it to you. It's found in Luke 10. 38 to 42, Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. I've meditated on that all week. I've meditated on Mary. I thought about what it means figuratively to sit at the feet of Jesus. I've driven Lee mad. Probably Vince as well. I can't hold revelation. I have to run to someone and show them what I found, knowing that they don't quite get it like I got it. I get that. That's all right. Just keep smiling and nodding at me, Lee. Just keep encouraging me to go. I meditated on the scene and I meditated on Mary. Of course, the Bible always gives very brief accounts of everything, doesn't it? It's like it hides hides the gems under the surface. So if you don't dig, you'll never find them. If you read your Bible superficially and read lots of it, 
You miss all the truth. You have to get underneath. You have to meditate on it. You have to dig to get the gems of truth. I found a priceless gem. I discovered and considered this person, this passage of scripture, and I found a beautiful truth. I found some interesting points. It says of Jesus, he loved this family, this family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You say, well, didn't he love everybody? It says, he loved John. Well, didn't he love the other disciples? When Jesus walked on this earth, just like you and me, he had friends in the natural. And I believe these that he says that he loved were the ones he was expressing, these are my friends. He loved his family. He loved Mary. He loved the disciples. He loved the people. The grace of God was on him that it was possible for him to love all men. And he loves us today. But it says he loved these four people. He walked and talked and shared and ate meals with John, different from the others. Because he was his friend. He went to the house of Lazarus, Martha and Mary because he was their friend. Don't you eat with your friends? Don't you visit your friend's house? Don't you go out with your friends? Unless you don't have any. But Jesus had friends. He said he loved this family. I'm sure every time he was at Jerusalem, he would bother to go the two miles to Bethany to be with his friends. There are, there are six Marys in the New Testament. This is the Mary, the sister of Martha. She was the one, remember, that took the ointment and poured it over his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. There's tons of stuff in that. The fact that she let her hair fall down, oh, we can't go there. There's so much in God's word to uncover and discover. They were his friends. That's one point. The second point, whenever... See, I heard stories as a child. And the story I heard, I took at face value. But I missed something in the story. My, the, the picture of this for all of my life until this week has been this. Martha is banging and clattering about in the kitchen. She is quite frustrated that her sister's not helping her. And Jesus is sitting in the living space of their house. And Mary is sitting at his feet, gazing into his face listening to him. Is that what you've got? Is that what you've got? Is that the picture you've got? What about the disciples? Where were they? You go, 
It says, he visited their house with the disciples. You thought, blooming heck, I've never seen that before. I must have read that scores and scores and scores of times. I've heard sermons on it. I've read things about it. I didn't know his disciples were in the room. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her door to him. He didn't tell them to clear off, did he? They were there as well. I started to ask myself some questions about this Mary. Why did she stay in the room with Jesus when her big sister needed her? Big sisters bully little sisters. Did you know that? Not that I've ever had daughters or sisters, but I know enough. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know, everything that happens, it is amazing. If you're listening, God is speaking all of the time. Daphne spent some time with her sister this week. She's lost her husband and she's going through some real difficult things. Daphne went with her to support her in that. And she came home and she said, my sister said something to me today. I said, oh, what was that? She said, I never had a clue. She said, we're having our lunch together, and her sister said, her younger sister, I don't like potatoes. And Daphne thought, I love potatoes. She said, why don't you like potatoes? She said, when we were little, you made me eat them. What a horrible, horrible person you are, Daphne. And you said... Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? (laughs) What a lovely person you are. After all those... See, big sisters do have an influence. They definitely do. She had to stay in the room knowing that there were eyes piercing through a wall. Pulling her towards the kitchen. And there was mumbling and cursing going on. And in her heart, she was a lovely woman, Mary. She was gentle. Of course, she wanted to go. But she didn't, did she? How could you sit in a room full of men who don't want you there, judging you You shouldn't be in this place. There's no parallel to today, apart from when I go home on a Wednesday night and Daphne's got her fellowship group there, (laughs) and there are seven women in my front room, and I make sure I get home after they've all gone. (laughs) Unless some of them are really late, and then I go into my bedroom. Not quite the same, but similar. And like Dave says, if you've got four sons and you're all watching football, Daphne disappears to somewhere else in the house, not wanting to sit there. 
she had to sit with these men who resented her very presence, possibly. Has she sat and listened and looked into the face of Jesus, what was it she heard and saw as she looked into this man's face? Those are the questions that filled my mind this week. Before I attempt to answer them, um, I've got to deal with Martha. In this story, we see one event in the life of Mary and Martha. We see one snapshot photo. We don't see their lives. This isn't an autobiography. This is a snapshot picture. Mary is commended for what she wants to do. And Martha is reproved. She is rebuked. She is told off very clearly by Jesus. Jesus says to Mary, she has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. She has chosen something of eternal consequence for her good. This is what she has chosen today. Jesus says to Martha, 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 isn't that tender? See, this was his friend Martha. This is, he loved Martha, it says in John's Gospel. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. And he loved Mary. He loved Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needful. He said, I've come to your house and you are troubled, distracted, worried about feeding me when I have come to feed you. Who cares about the dinner? Jesus is in the house. Do you understand? She was taken up with her hospitality. She was taken up with her kindness. She was taken up with lots of things. She was missing the one important thing was to sit and be fed by Jesus. This life is not about what you do for Jesus. This life is about what Jesus does for you. You understand? What can you give him? What can you do for him? He wants you to sit. He wants to feed you. He comes to feed you. He comes to meet you. Don't seek to defend Martha. Don't defend her. You do it at your peril. She was a dear friend of God's. She was a dear friend of Jesus. She was dear to him. She was a godly woman. We take one picture of her life 
which isn't very commendable, and we turn her into this monster. How stupid. You could take a picture of my life at some time, and if that's all you had of me, you would condemn me. I could take a picture of some things in your life, and if it was the only picture I had of you, I would write you off. But a picture, one picture, one snapshot, one incident doesn't sum up the the sum total of your life. We make mistakes all the time. She was a precious, precious, godly woman whom Jesus loved. He would never have made friends with her if she wasn't. He wouldn't have gone to her house so many times and enjoyed her meal. But he wants to teach us something here. I'm not saying to the doers of you don't do. That's not what I'm saying. But that's what the doers do. They jump all over you if you say anything about Martha. Well, don't defend her on this occasion because Jesus didn't. But she was a precious, precious, precious saint of God. Martha was distracted, it says. It says she was worried and she was upset mostly over the meal. Could have been loads of other things, but mostly over the meal. Mary was set on one thing, and that was being in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate. That filled her mind. See, Mary had to push everything aside. The piercing eyes of her sister, the grumbling, the banging of the pots and pans that were saying, come into the kitchen. The glares from the men that thought she shouldn't be in the room, she had to turn away from them and focus on Jesus Christ. All the cultural norms that were telling her to get out of that room. You have no place in here. This is a men's domain. Leave this room. She resisted and sat still facing Jesus. See, you've got to fight for this stuff. You've got to fight. You've got to push to the front. You've got to sit on the floor. You've got to focus on Jesus. Otherwise, you don't get it. You will be distracted. You will have worries and concerns because you've taken your eyes off Jesus. Her soul thirsted for the Lord. She hungered after him. We sang that this morning. I thirst and hunger for you, O God. She thirsted. The great need of man, of all men, saved or unsaved, is God. God has created, when I say man, I mean man and woman, of course. God has created humanity with a desperate, desperate need for God. How else can he get us saved? A desperate need for our souls to be satisfied. When we get saved, we still have a desperate need for God. 
unsaved, have a desperate need to find peace with God. Jesus Christ is the one who came to orchestrate peace with God through his death on the cross. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know why you're not satisfied? Because you've been looking somewhere else. You can only get satisfied in your soul with Jesus. He is your all in all. You could think about that for a week and what that means. Thank you, God, for my wife, my children, my mum, my dad, my Christian family, my friends. Thank you, God. But listen, he is my all in all. All of these wonderful things, the greatest, the greatest of everything that could be lavished upon you. My ministry and all that I do will never satisfy me. Only God in the person of Christ can satisfy me because he is my all in all. Mary had to listen to the words of Jesus. She had to. It wasn't that she didn't like her sister or didn't like cooking. It wasn't that. She had to. She had to listen to the words of Jesus. She had to look upon the beauty of his face. He was the loveliest man that ever walked on the face of the earth. Daphne doesn't mind that I love Jesus. She doesn't mind that. It's not a competition. She freely lets me love him with all of my heart because she knows what she's going to get out of the deal. It's a much better husband. A much more loving, caring, precious husband. She's going to say, why did you mention me so many times this morning? I can't... Well, you're my wife. I can't do it with anyone else. God incarnate was there in her house. He was sitting in her front room, in her living space. He was seated on the very seat that she sits on sometimes. She was not going to be distracted by her sister, by these men, or by cultural norms. She was desperate for Jesus Christ. Are you desperate for Jesus? If you ain't, you ain't going to get him. You're not going to get him. Yes, he saved you. Oh, that was step one. I don't want to stop at being saved. I want Jesus in his fullness in my life. 
She was listening and looking into the face of the man who could forgive sin. Have you ever wronged anyone? I mean, really wronged them. You badmouth them. Wow. You say things or you do things and there's this barrier between you and them. You know what I mean? And you want to get rid of it, don't you? It doesn't go away. You forget about it and then you wake up and it's there again and it's there again. And then when you go and see the person and you deal with it, it's like, oh, this feels so good. You think, how can it feel so good? A spirit has been removed. An evil entity that existed between you and that person has been removed. As she sat in the room with Jesus, she felt that coming from him. The forgiveness of sins. It was wonderful. There was a quickening. That's an old-fashioned word for life. As she sat in the presence of Jesus, there was like the life of God was there. It was like electric. It was like she couldn't even hear the banging of the pans anymore. She couldn't see the eyes of the men anymore. She was captivated in this place. Hour and a half sitting on the floor last week. Flew. Flew. I thought, is it over? Can we have more? More! Poor Joel, his fingers are itching. <laughs> Come on, Joel, get those fingers harder, harder, harder. The image of the invisible God sat in front of her. She knew this was the greatest moment in her life, second to none. Second to none. Because God was in her house, fellowshipping with her. As she listened to his words, it was like a river of pure water washing over her soul. She knew that he was the bread of life. Whatever her sister put before them, and I'm sure it was a wonderful meal, it did not compare with the bread of life that he was feeding her. She knew unless she ate the flesh of the Son of Man and drank his blood, she could not have his life in her. You've got to eat the body of Jesus and drink his blood. Otherwise, he won't come and live with you. <laughs> Unpack that, please. What does it mean? I love the words. They're arresting, aren't they? It sounds a gruesome thing to do. You've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
Otherwise, he won't come and live in you. We need him every day, like that. Jesus is the only food that will satisfy a hungry soul. Man seeks satisfaction everywhere, all men. That's why they watch football. That's why they want no problem marriages. Peace. I'm on the show, but peace, please. They want a job where it isn't too much hassle and they've got the biggest wage in the country. That's how they like it. They're searching for satisfaction. All men search for it. All men search for happiness. All women search for happiness. Happiness, of course. God didn't make you so you'd, you'd want unhappiness. Christian man seeks to be satisfied. So he satisfies himself in the things of God. I'll tell you this, the things of God will never satisfy you. Let me say that again. The things of God will never satisfy your soul, ever. Only an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ will do it. That's it. It isn't what you do. It isn't how much you read. It isn't the ministry you have. It isn't your duty. It isn't your righteousness. It isn't any of these things. They're wonderful things. But they'll not satisfy you. There's only one thing that satisfies you. And it's your relationship with Emmanuel. God with us. It's not good enough to know about Jesus or simply to follow him, to obey him or to admire him. It's not good enough. All of those things are good, but it's not good enough. It's him. You have to totally and unreservedly fall in love with Jesus. That's it. Not at all order. He has to consume your very thought and passion all day. Say, blooming heck, Phil. You're raising the bar here this morning. That's what the Bible says. You can settle for less, but you'll never be satisfied. Never. Never. If you take your eyes off Jesus for a moment and look somewhere else, you will be distracted and you will be worried. Just like Martha. You say, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus all the time? How do I do that? How do I do that at work? How do I do that watching football? How do I do that doing this? You can do it. You can do it. Whatever sport you do, take him onto the football pitch with you. Take him onto the tennis court with you. Take him with you. Take him with you. Be talking to him. Say, Jesus, this is a blooming hard game. Can you help me here? I mean, he's going to smash me unless you pour your grace into my life. You think I didn't pray on the rugby pitch? 
My prayer when I went to the toilet before I went onto the pitch, I'm sorry about the detail, was, God, I want to come off in one piece. Please, God, in one piece. And I want to smash this man who's opposite me right into the ground, God. Will you fill me with your grace to do that, God? Well, at least I was focusing on Jesus, wasn't I? We can't play rugby any other way and win. And I wasn't there to lose. As she gazed upon his face, as she looked at him that day, I don't think she was sitting on the floor. I think it's figuratively. But you can have it how you like it. She saw the one who is the visible image of the invisible God. She saw the one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. She saw the one who is the living residence of the Trinity. She saw the one in whom eternity lives and breathes and have its being. She saw the one who is before time. She saw the A to Z, the Alpha and the Omega. She saw the beginning and the end. She saw the firstborn of the created universe who rose from the dead never to die again. She saw the conqueror of death and sin and the grave, the creator, the saviour, the redeemer, the forgiver, the one who holds all creation together in himself. She saw the one who is the power of glory and might. She saw the head and authority and the source of the church, she saw the one through whom and for whom all things were created. She saw the one in whom all things find their meaning and their reality. She saw the one who reconciled all things in heaven and earth to God. She saw the one who nailed who nailed to his bloody cross every law and every rule and every regulation that will condemn the beloved people of God. She saw the one who is supreme in every realm and holds the first in all things. She saw the son of the father's love, the one whose significance is unmatched in human history. She saw the one who holds the title deeds to the universe and he sat in front of her. My God, no wonder she wasn't in the kitchen. And that which she got that day, Jesus said, that will never be taken from her. Oh, Martha, Martha, what are you doing in the kitchen? You're missing me. You're not seeing me. This glorious, limitless, amazing, incredible, expansive, incomparable, marvellous, stunning, staggering, majestic, mighty, matchless, spectacular, outstanding, tremendous, immense, infinite, vast, grand, triumphant, victorious, precious, radiant, peerless, wonderful, magnificent Christ. Why would you look anywhere else? Why would you sow your life into anything apart from the person of Jesus Christ? What a waste! 
to have sown ourselves into the ministry and missed Jesus. Jesus said, you cast out demons in my name. You did very many miracles in my name. You prophesied in my name. But depart from me, you evil person, because you never saw me. They were gifts. Miracles are gifts. Prophecy is a gift. They're gifts. We're not seeking the gifts. We're seeking the man. And if the man wants to bestow gifts upon you, don't worry about that. They'll flow. They'll flow. It seems he can't wait for us to love him. So he pours his gifts out anyway to a church that doesn't love him, doesn't focus on him, isn't 100% consumed by the man Jesus. Oh, Lord. It was wonderful for Mary. But it's a million times better for us. It was wonderful on that day. But as we look today into the wonderful face of Jesus Christ, we realise that the fullness of God, everything was poured into Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And where does he dwell? Where does he dwell? Where does he dwell? He dwells in us. Do you get it? Do you understand? God has poured himself out into Jesus Christ, withholding nothing. And now Jesus enters into us in his fullness. What wonderful, wonderful, glorious, glorious, glorious people you are. You are the children of God, and God, in all his fullness, lives in you. How do you realize what you've got? How do you understand this? You keep looking into the face of Jesus. And as you look into his face, you realize who and what you have within you. Can I say any more? God bless you.